It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, who is back home after the Cavaliers were in Boston. They fell to the Celtics on what day of the week? Wednesday night? Is that right? Is that yeah? Right? It was Wednesday night. ESPN. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know what day is what anymore. I, <laughs> so that's I don't my even... thing, right? I don't either. Yeah. yeah. And I just judge it based on like what channel basketball games are. That's how my yes. life runs. Basketball is life, right? So yes. Wednesday night, those are ESPN national TV games. Yeah. And then Thursday night, those are uh, TNT national TV games. There you go. And there were a bunch of people from ESPN inside TD Garden the other night, including Woj, um, including Malika Andrews, including Kendrick Perkins and Jalen Rose and all those people. So I knew that it was not a Thursday game. It was a Wednesday game. There you go. Well, that's that's <laughs> you're right. That is the barometer. So the Cavaliers lose on Wednesday night to the Boston Celtics, who are now the second seed in the Eastern Conference behind Milwaukee, who has surged um, over their last 10 games. They're 10 and 0. Actually, they've won 16 straight. Yep. Which is uh, remarkable. Yep. The Cavaliers, seven and a half back behind them. Cavaliers also uh, two and a half back behind the Philadelphia 76ers for the uh, three seed. Um, Chris, the other night, Donovan Mitchell, we, let's just start with this. Donovan Mitchell played really, really well, uh, but also had a bit of another groin issue. Is this something that's just going to linger uh, with Donovan Mitchell for the rest of the season, given that, you know, he's kind of injured at once already and said that he may or may not miss time? I mean, what is the what's going on with Donovan Mitchell's uh, groin at this point? I don't know, man. Muscle injuries are always tricky, right? If you think yeah. about how long Kevin Love missed a couple of years ago with a calf issue. They're just things that you don't want to mess with. You don't want to rush back. And, and Donovan's the kind of player, just watch him play. I mean, he puts so much pressure on his groin, his hamstring, his knees, his calves, because he plays above the rim and he spins into the lane and he's got the whirling acrobatic finishes and the stop, start, the hesitation, the pullback, step back threes, stylistically, like, he puts a lot of pressure on his groin. So I do think it's something that he's going to have to manage. The Cavs are going to have to manage. The good news is he was able to practice today. The Cavs were back on the practice court today. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff didn't really say it was a strain or a pull. He classified it as soreness. That's kind of the way that Donovan was talking in the locker room following the game against Boston. I actually privately said to Donovan, hey, man, like, they need to bring your minutes down. You're averaging a career high in minutes. And he said, Chris, we got to win games right now. 
So I think there's a little bit more urgency from Donovan and the Cavs to bank some wins here with New York flying up the standings, Milwaukee surging ahead, and an opportunity for Philly maybe to retreat a little bit. And given the way that the Cavs are currently playing, one in four in their last five games, you know, Donovan wants to be a part of it. He doesn't feel like um, this is the time, um, especially with the playoffs right around the corner, where he can start nursing injuries and, and missing a bunch of games in a row and things like that. So it seems like the Cavs dodged a bullet, but given his play style and given that he's had multiple groin issues throughout the course of the um, this season, including in the last two months, I do think it's something that the Cavs have to be smart with um, and they're going to have to manage moving forward, at least for the next uh, week or so. Right. I mean, he's such a vital part of what they do, um, such a vital part of what they do and who they are uh, at this point. Um, and again, without him, that would be a crushing blow to whatever, to the last. Again, I'm really bad at math. Uh, <laughs> 39 to 26. So that, and, and so that means they have 17, they have 17 games. Left. All right. Yeah. Phew. Phew. Good. Good for me. I got that right. Um, but like we said earlier, we said that the schedule kind of does ease up a little bit here. Um, after, you know, they play Detroit tomorrow night and then they will be, they'll host Boston again on Monday night. And then, you know, Miami, Miami, Charlotte, Charlotte for about, you know, a, a week or so. So again, yeah. things are maybe getting a little bit less daunting as we go down the stretch here, but the Cavaliers maybe? like, yeah, they do. Get I mean, very time. much. So if, if yeah. you go by Tankathon, Tankathon is one of the websites that tracks, you know, lottery odds, strength of schedule, um, all that kind of stuff. According to Tankathon, the Cavs have the easiest schedule remaining of any team in the NBA. Like yeah, that's I mean, huge. Just look and at it. Got, yeah, contrast I mean, that with a team like Philly, where yeah. I mean, Philly's the number three seed in the Eastern Conference right now. The Cavs are only two and a half games back of Philly. Philly um, is coming off a loss. They're six and four in their last ten. They've got a top five difficult schedule to finish the season. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there is an opportunity here for the Cavs to make up ground and maybe determine their fate a little bit more when it comes to playoff seating if they can find a way to catch the 76ers, who, by the way, their next game is against the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. Cavaliers, from what I can see, don't play Milwaukee again, so they will dodge that bullet. They play yeah, Boston no. once. They play Philly once. They have Miami twice, Charlotte twice, Brooklyn New twice, New York, Indiana, Orlando. I mean, they they have some you know some very winnable games. Houston yep. at home. So you're right about the schedule looking a little bit easier here. They also coming up. Maybe you're maybe honestly. I mean, I don't know. You can you can alert me to this or not. And this looks like one of your better one of your better stretches in terms of your travel schedule. Um, <laughs> you got you got Miami back to back with yeah. the day in between, and then yeah. you got Charlotte back to back with the day in between. I mean, that sounds pretty. You know, not so bad. It's awesome. I love that the NBA is implementing these baseball type series things to try and cut down on travel. Um, and try and make it easier on players. And I love the fact that it's towards the end of the year when a lot of us could really use those rest days in between, um, both players, coaches, front office members, and reporters alike. So, yeah, anytime you get to stay in Miami for five days, and then they've got one of those with Brooklyn as well, you get to stay there for five days. And then to finish out the season, 
back-to-back in Orlando in a baseball series type setup. You get Orlando for five days. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really smart that the NBA is trying to do this. Um, And I think teams that have these kinds of situations coming up with the playoffs right around the corner, and they're trying to find some opportunities to rest in between games, and they're trying to find some opportunity to limit um, the amount of wear and tear on their bodies. Like for the Cavs to have multiple of these things, Hayden, in March with the playoffs right around the corner, like it is something that they have taken note of. And when they're mapping out March and they're talking about off days and how to schedule practices and shoot arounds and things like that, J.B. Vickerstaff will be the first person to tell you that the way that the schedule sets up for the Cavs is very, very favorable when they have guys nursing injuries, when they have somebody like Ricky Rubio who's trying to get into form going into the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. No matter what you want to look at, the Cavs schedule the rest of the way is very, very favorable, and you don't need to take into account strength of schedule metrics or anything like that from Tankathon to realize that. Yeah, it's a great thing. A great thing for a team that has played, you know, played hard all year. And now the question is, the question is, though, can they capitalize? You know what I mean? Like if they're going to get this opportunity in March and it is going to be favorable for them, then they've got to do something with it. (laughs) You know what I mean? I agree. I completely agree 100 percent. And that's what we're kind of, you know, gearing up for here. Um, You've kind of written a couple times that the Cavs, you know, their playoff rotation is coming into form. Um, and they're kind of really ramping up for this, you know, for the opportunity that's going to come in the postseason. So yep. you want to be playing your best basketball going into the end or going into the playoffs, right? I mean, right. I bet it's that's kind of how it goes in every league. That's been their goal since the beginning yeah. of the year. And I think that was a logical goal for a team that had a lot of internal growth that could happen for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think the way that their roster sets up with Donovan Mitchell coming in, learning a new uh, system, learning new teammates, uh, Darius trying to learn how to play alongside somebody like Donovan, Evan getting bigger and stronger and more confident as the second season progressed, like all those different things, J.B. Bickerstaff getting more answers about his rotation, using the first part of the regular season to figure out what works, what doesn't work, what combinations work, what combinations don't work, what five-man groupings work, what five-man groupings don't work, who am I going to finish with? All that kind of stuff. Like that information has been gathered by the Cavs throughout the course of the season. And that's part of the reason why they have always said, like, we want to play our best at the end of the season. We think we can play our best at the end of the season because the way that their roster is structured, like they are that kind of team that can really go on a run here if they capitalize on this opportunity. If you, if you, or J.B. Bickerstaff, what is your rotation right now going into the postseason? The first seven are obvious, um, but I yeah. think within that seven, the guy who is in the most danger of losing playing time is Isaac Okoro. Yeah. Because if he's not knocking down shots, if he's not going to be an offensive threat, if the Cavs are going to play four on five offensively, like they did the other night against Boston in a playoff-like game, then Isaac's going to get a shorter leash. Um, Look at the other night against the Celtics. Look at the guys that JB played the most. And again, the Cavs talked about it. The Celtics talked about it. That was a playoff-like game in early March. You can't duplicate what 
the Cavs are going to see in the playoffs in March. You cannot. There's no way to recreate that environment. But the way that you approach that game, that is similar to the playoffs. And if you look at the guys who played the five highest minute totals in that particular game against Boston, it's what you would expect, right? Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and Karis LeVert. Karis because Isaac wasn't giving them enough defensively um, to justify the fact that he wasn't um, a threat on the offensive end either, and guys were basically ignoring him and leaving him open at the three-point line, and he was dealing with foul trouble and stuff like that tied into it as well. But I think because of Isaac, young player, still not the most reliable outside shot, Still, sometimes the Cavs have to play four on five offensively with him out there. Like he's going to have a short leash in a playoff series. And Karis Levert would be the beneficiary of that if, you know, he gives the Cavs what Isaac can't in that type of matchup. So to me, Hayden, the top seven are set. It's the five starters that are currently the starters. Um, And the top two guys off the bench are going to be Ricky Rubio and Karis Levert. And then Dean Wade is going to get the first crack to be the eighth guy. Um, but but I wouldn't say that that is a stable um, spot in the rotation by any means. Like, I think if there are nights where JB says, we need the defense of Lamar Stevens, then that's what's going to happen. Or Jetty Osman has it going more from beyond the arc than somebody like Dean Wade, then the Cavs would go that direction. Or if Danny Green can show that he can be healthy and effective then maybe he'll get an opportunity as well. So the eight and nine in that rotation are very, very fluid. And J.B. Bickerstaff reiterated today, Hayden, that it's going to be based on feel. It's going to be based on matchup. It's going to be different on a nightly basis. Some nights we need defense. Some nights we need offense. Some nights we need size. Other nights, maybe we can downsize and get away with Danny Green at the four. Something along those lines. So if you're not named Donovan, Darius, Jarrett, Isaac, Evan, Karis, or Ricky, then I would say your spot in the every night rotation, especially when it gets to the playoffs, is going to be very, very fluid. How quickly we forget about, or maybe I forget, about Danny Green. I mean, didn't play the other night against Boston. Um, Well, you know. Well. I think easier to forget because you know based on what he has shown and and it's unfair to him because it's early in his time with the Cavs he's about 10 months removed from a major knee injury but based on what he has shown in the brief time that he's gotten an opportunity it's not anything that's all that memorable right right it's not like he's gone out there and he's banged multiple threes in a high-pressure moment. It's not like he's gone out there and really stood out as somebody who changed the game with his energy or his floor spacing or his shooting or his defense or anything along those lines. The only time that JB has gone to him so far, Hayden, and I think it's by design because I think it's a very difficult situation for Danny and for JB at this point in time with somebody coming in midway through the season on a contending team that has a rotation that's relatively set. Um, The only time JB has used him has been in a blowout type situation. 
Danny Green has not seen the court in what could be classified as a competitive, high-level environment to this point. Because I think part of it is if they're going to use him in that kind of way, they're saving that for the end of the season and the postseason. They're not going to do it right now because he wasn't signed for early March, right? He wasn't signed for late February. This was about can we bring this guy here and can he give us some value in a way that some of these other guys can't maybe at a time that matters the most for us? Yeah, I, you know, you know, I'm going to say something and I know that I'm going to get blowback and I get it, but yeah. I'd, rather, I'd rather have Kevin Love. <laughs> I mean, honest to God. And I know, I know there was more about Kevin not being happy and wanting to play elsewhere. And I get that. That's part of it. But like, yeah, I, you'd much rather have Kevin Love in this situation. But it wasn't an either or situation. You're right. You're right. No, you're right. You're 100% right. Like, here's the thing. Like, part of what bothered Kevin. Okay. We all understand this. Kevin is in the final year of his contract, right? Yes. Yes. He is going to be a free agent this offseason. Yes. He believes he can still bring value. He believes that he can still play. He does not, I repeat, he does not want to be a minimum player. He does not. Going from a max player to a minimum contract player is a mind bleep for anybody, especially for somebody who's going to be a future Hall of Famer. Okay. He needed an opportunity to show that he can still bring on-court value. Sure. Right. If you were a team, like if Kevin had gotten all these DNPs, if he stayed with the Cavs, he didn't get a buyout and he got all these DNPs and he didn't play down the stretch for a team that had playoff aspirations and he didn't play in a first round series against like the New York Knicks or the Brooklyn Nets. What do you think other teams around the NBA would have been thinking? Right. No, I, I, I get it. I they would have been thinking get, this guy, again, this guy's I, I, done. He can't play. He can't help us. Why are we going to go out and pay him? This offseason. So like Kevin wanted an opportunity to still play and there was no consistent role available for him here, just like Correct. there isn't a consistent role right now for Danny Green here. Correct. Right. There's not a consistent role for Jetty Osman here right now. There's not a consistent role for Lamar Stevens here right now. And he was in the starting lineup in November. So like Kevin was like, OK, I'm going to get eight minutes one night. And I'm going to get zero for three games in a row. Like, how is this going to work here? Like, what's yeah. my path to consistent playing time? What's no, my path to a specific, clearly defined role? And the Cavs basically said there is no path to a clearly defined role because you're not in the top seven. You're 100 percent right. And you're right. It's not either or. Correct. I, I totally get why the situation was what it was. And it just it, it sucks that it came to that. Because I think this team could really use a guy like Kevin, you know, and I think that it just it, it like I said, you're right. You're 100 percent right in all of that. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, I know Kevin wanted to be out. I know that he wanted to you know, play and I know the Cavaliers were not going to let him play. But it just feels like there's something missing now. And maybe it's just because he's been there for so long and he's been a part yeah. of the team for so long. But like when you watch, it's just like, man, they, they, they really could just use that presence. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, I said this to somebody the other day, too. When Kevin Love was here, the Cavs had the third worst productive bench in the entire NBA. Yeah. Since Kevin Love has been gone and in Miami, the Cavs have the third worst bench in the NBA. Right. (laughs) So he wasn't doing a whole lot to change 
the level of production that JB and the Cavs were getting from the second unit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. And you're right. I mean, we're not even, you know, I'm, I'm talking about Danny Green, but he's really uh, like, this is going to sound weird too, but like, he kind of reminds me of like a Dante Jones kind of player, like yeah. maybe a, a guy that, you know, could just, I remember Dante Jones in game five of the 2016 finals, like, or game six of the 2016 finals, like had like five of the best minutes you'll ever have. Like, I think that's what the Cavaliers are trying to like find with Danny Green. Like maybe he'll just yeah. catch fire one day and, and really help in that regard. I think you might be right about that. I mean, based on on the way that JB has handled it, and if we're trying to go based on that, um, I think there is some wonder within the organization about how healthy and effective Danny can be. And I think they're hopeful that he can be. But I also think it's... If we're going to go to him it's probably going to be in a need situation. Sure. Right. Do we need that shooting? Do we need that floor spacing? Do we need that veteran calming presence that has been there to inbound a pass in a late game situation instead of Isaac Okoro or whoever it may be? You know what I mean? Like, I don't get the sense based on how JB has used him, based on how people have talked about him, I don't get the sense that the Cavs signed him to say he is a fixture, a permanent fixture in the top eight of our rotation. Yeah. Like he's one of the eight most important players that we have for a potential playoff series against the New York Knicks. That's just not how anybody has spoken about him. Right. So it's right. It's not, I mean, I brought it up just because, again, it was an interesting signing when they brought him in, but now it just seems like yeah. he's going to just – Maybe, like, but I mean, like, go ahead. You know, he's smart. He's a veteran. Yeah. He's a three time champion. Yeah. He has some leadership qualities. Absolutely. Um, He's seen things that these guys haven't seen. He's experienced things that these guys haven't experienced. So I think, I think there's a way for him to still bring value, even though I think his playing time is going to be very sporadic. You're, I think you're right about that too. Well, we kind of, like I said, it's like, it's kind of one of those things like you want, you want to hurry up to the postseason because that's kind of what we're waiting for. We're kind of just waiting to see where the Cavs, like you said, are they going to take advantage of their opportunities? Are they going yeah. to, are they going to, you know, where are they going to end up? Are they going to be a three seed, four seed? Are they mm-hmm. going to slip down, be the five seed? I mean, where, where are mm-hmm. they going to be at? That's, that's kind of what we're looking at right here. Where do you think they're going to finish the year? I think they're going to take advantage. And you know what? It might not be a good thing because maybe they will kind of run out of steam. Yeah, what does post- that mean, though? In the postseason? You think they're going to leapfrog Philly for the third I do. seed? I you do. do. I do. I think they're going to leapfrog Philly, yeah. Um, I, just because I think that they're going to play some really good basketball down the stretch. I think, like, that, yeah, I, I think that the schedule just really opens up for them, and they're going to be focused on, you know, they. I think they really want to be, you know, like you said, playing their best basketball. But I think maybe also – that that will like cause some issues in the postseason, mm. like you know what I mean. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's something that they have to consider, and it's something that I've bounced around in my own head, and I've said to some of the players privately as well. Like, it is important for this team, given how they've played at home versus the road. Yeah, like to me, like- it is important for them to have home court advantage in round one. 
Right. But if they're going to chase that at the expense of Donovan, Darius, uh, Jarrett, and Evan, like not being at maximum that you want them to be going into the postseason, yeah. I don't know that that's the right move. So I, I think it's a very delicate balance here for yeah. JB. Yes. Um, I think he believes that home court advantage is important in round one. I also think he believes that it's important for this team to build some positive momentum and bank wins going into the postseason. Yep. Um, and I just wonder how he's going to handle it because, you know, the top four guys, Cleveland's core four, Hayden, they're all averaging 33 minutes or more. Uh, it gets a lot on these guys. They have to carry a heavy burden on a nightly basis. And I just wonder how that's going to impact them in a first round playoff series if they don't if they don't limit that to some degree down the stretch here. They do have the advantage of being a very young team. Mm -hmm. and like and I'm not saying advantage in terms of experience, but I'm saying advantage in terms of youth and maybe having a little more you know, left in the tank so that yep. maybe they don't get as, you know, tired or whatever. Right. Um, but you're right. It's something they're going to have to figure out for themselves. They're not going to be able to, like, if it's not perfect, if it doesn't go perfectly in terms of balancing things, it is what it is. You you know, you yeah. learn from when you move on. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult challenge, too. I really do. I also think it's tough that the buffer that they had or the perceived buffer that they had has almost vanished completely because New York is just on a different level since they traded for Josh Hart. Um, so it's not like, you know, it's not like Brooklyn, Miami, and Toronto are the three teams behind them that um, have their own situations where you don't feel like those teams are really, or they haven't shown the capability of, of surging and surpassing the Cavs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the Knicks, the Knicks have shown recently that if the Cavs go on a three or four game losing streak, the Knicks are the kind of team that could catch them in a way that I don't think Brooklyn can. Right. Or I don't think Miami can, because yeah. Miami has just been one of the great disappointments in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how it goes. Um, so you think three? You think the Cavs are going to finish third in the East? Yeah, here's my prediction though. I think they're going to. Okay. I, I think they're going to finish the third seed, and I think they're going to have a hellacious time in the first round. Maybe even not get out of it. With who though? Miami? Maybe I don't know. Oh, all right. I mean, I think that I didn't say they wouldn't get out of. it. I said they're going to have a hell of a hell of a time. Yeah. And then I don't think I don't think regardless that they win the second round. I don't think that they do. I don't care where I'll, they are. I'll say this. The majority of people that I have talked to inside the organization don't want the heat in round one. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, I know that they've been a disappointment. That's my whole point is that they've been a disappointment, but they still got some some vets. They got some guys that can play like, I, you know. I don't think it's just out of the realm of possibility that Miami can turn into a, a different animal in the postseason. I mean, they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year. Let's not forget. Yeah, right. And they were a team that came into this year saying, we're going to build on that. You know what I mean? And it hasn't happened for a variety of reasons. 
but we know that the playoffs are different than the regular season. Correct. And if it's a seven-game series against a team led by Jimmy Butler, a guy who is known to take it to a completely different level in the playoffs, and, you know, they've got Bam Adebayo, they've got other dudes that have been there, they've got one of the best coaches in the entire NBA. Yep. I understand why that would probably be a more daunting matchup than New York or Brooklyn or Atlanta, despite the fact that Miami hasn't shown to be that team this year. And I like a lot of it is tied to their reputation. And it's like, we just don't want to write them off because they've got all that playoff experience. They've got all that talent. They've got all that coaching, even though it hasn't come together for him this year, even though they haven't shown it this year, like they've earned more of a benefit of the doubt than some of these other teams. So I get it. If they were able to play Brooklyn, I think that would be a blessing. Oh, God, yeah. Like, everybody in the organization feels yeah. that. Yeah, they want to get right. Of course. Given that what Brooklyn's, you know, where they're at and what they're, yeah. I mean, the Cavs, like I said, like we said, they have them a couple times, so. Right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see I how mean, it goes. I mean, like, Brooklyn is 34 and 28 on the season. Yes. And let's say that the roster that they no longer have was responsible for 32 of those wins probably (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah 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 you're hoping you're hoping that they right you're hoping to play brooklyn 100 like this version of brooklyn has been the equivalent of i'm trying to think of a team in the eastern conference and not disrespect brooklyn too much but also like the orlando magic yeah pretty much Pretty much. I mean, that would be that would be as close to a gimme as one of the top seeds in the Eastern Conference could get, based was, on who they are right now. I was just looking. You know, I don't pay much attention to the Western Conference in terms of like standings. I mean, the Cavaliers have more wins than every team but one in the West. That's right. <laughs> the Memphis Grizzlies have. Yeah, or excuse me, the Denver Nuggets have 44 wins. Cavaliers yeah. have 39. Memphis has 38. I mean, that's that Western Conference is going to be. That's going to be some fun playoff basketball out there. People in the organization are also very, very aware of that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The whole, what if we were in the West? Well, they're that not. Whole thing, that <laughs> well, that whole thing has come up more than a few times. Well, they're not in the West. They're in the no, East. They're <laughs> no, they're you not. Know. If I was about to say something that I probably shouldn't say on a podcast, but <laughs> you know, whatever. If my aunt yeah. had handlebars, she'd be a bike. You know, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a better way to say it. Yeah. So, sure. you know, it is what it is. Um, but like we said, the Cavaliers uh, are in a good spot going forward, and you know, I think only they will they will only continue to learn each other over the you know learn their kind of rotations, their place over the next month. I think yeah. over the next month, their their goal here is to just like you said, play some good basketball, get themselves comfortable, and get ready for the beast that is the postseason. It's a different animal, and a lot of these guys haven't really experienced it yet. So, um, yeah. you can't create experience; you can only experience experience, and that's where they're going to be at. I have two questions for you yep. before we get out of here. Sure. First thing, um, yep. the Cavs have lost four of their last five games. Yeah. Some of those against really good teams, right? Yep. I mean, Boston, yep. Denver, Philly. Yeah. And Atlanta was coming off a coaching change, and everybody knows that, that Atlanta, loss. you know, they're capable, right? Yeah, Based that, that on the talent. Good. That was not a good loss, though. It was not a good loss, but they are capable. 
Yes. So it's not like that was Houston, right? That's not like that was Charlotte or anything along those. Sure. So all of those losses have been against either playoff or play-in teams. Yeah. Has that changed your view and your expectations of what the Cavs can do this season? No, I just, I think that they're right there. I just don't think that they're going to be able to beat a team like Milwaukee in a seven game. Like, I think they're going to, I think they're going to win their first round series, but I don't think they're better than Philly, Boston, or Milwaukee, even if they do pass Philly up. I just don't think they're on that level, you know, and be like, we saw it with the, with the 76ers with Embiid. I mean, he just, he brings a totally different animal that even a guy like Jared Allen has a lot of trouble with. And Evan Mobley has a lot of trouble with, and, you know, Boston has kind of a bunch of different guys. And obviously Milwaukee has maybe the best player in the NBA and Giannis. So, I mean, it's, they're just, they're different animals and the Cavaliers, I think in two years, the Cavaliers could be where those teams are, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. exactly where they are. I think that that that's exactly where they want to be. But I think right now it's just like a year early. And then I think next year they'll be right in the thick of that with those four teams, man. Like you said, we're talking, if we're talking about the Western conference, we're talking about this team, you know, being better than, I think they're as, as good, if not better than Memphis. I think they're as good, if not better than Sacramento, like, you know, the Warriors are the Warriors. I think they're better than Dallas and Phoenix is kind of interesting with, you know, without Devin Booker and, KD, I, I don't know really what they are yet, but, you know, they're mm-hmm. better than a lot of teams in the NBA, a lot. But it just so happens that they're in the Eastern Conference where, you know, those top three have not only experience, but they have MVP caliber players. Yeah. And the Cavaliers just don't have that experience yet. I also think the top two teams in the NBA, and this is no disrespect to Denver, none at all. And it's not meant to be taken that way. Yeah. But I think the top two teams or let's put it this way, the two most daunting teams in a seven-game series, because I don't know what Phoenix can be yet Yeah, with KD. Right, right. Right, like, I don't know how it's going to work with him, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. And before they got KD and they gave up everything that they gave up for KD, including some really important wing defenders, Right. they're – second most important their second best player was an aging 37 year old point guard who has looked like a shell of him his former self so i understand the talent level that phoenix has and i understand theoretically what they can become yes um but i just don't know that yet and i haven't seen that yet so the two teams that i have seen throughout the course of the year that i think would be most daunting for anybody in a seven game series, Milwaukee and Boston. Yeah. I agree. Right. Um, and there's, <laughs> there's basically no way for the Cavs based on how things set up right now, there's no way for the Cavs to avoid one of those teams in round two. Yep. That's exactly the point. Yeah. So I don't know how I'm supposed to expect them to win a seven game series against the two teams that I consider to be the two best in the NBA. Yeah, I don't, I agree with you completely. If we were talking about the, if they, if we were talking about the Cavs in the West, I would probably say that, um, yeah, that there is a chance they could move past the second round, but I think just having to, I think it's going to be between, I think the Eastern conference finals are going to be between either Milwaukee, Boston, or Philly. I mean, it's a common, one of the combinations of those three. And Philly's weird to me. They have this weird nonchalance that bothers me, and it's always bothered me. 
especially yeah. in a playoff series. And well, maybe they the shake fact, that. Yeah. I don't know. And that's but that's why I think the Cavs are going to bounce over them because you're right; they do have that nonchalance when yeah. it comes to that. So we'll see. We'll see how. It so goes. But, yeah, here's the it, other. Yeah, so the here's other the other question, question yeah. that I have yeah. before we get out of here. Yeah. Um. You know, the Cavs gave up everything that they gave up in order to get Donovan Mitchell, and they changed their roster because of that, and sure, it limited the other moves that they could make around the roster and what they could do at the trade deadline and all that kind of yeah, stuff. I'm following you. I'm following you. So what is success for this team this year? I think I think that. I think winning a first-round playoff series is a success. I do. I, I, I think that donovan yes like this year the expectation even without donovan was to make the playoffs without donovan i don't think that they i think they made the playoffs but i don't think that they're anywhere near the four seed i mean maybe they're in like the seven to six to seven seed range so i think if they want to play i think if they win a playoff series that's success to me i'm sure there will be fans of people that say no that's not success like they need to get to the eastern conference finals which i guess is fair Maybe my expectations are lower just because they are so young and they are, you know, this is their first year together. But I see the blueprint and I see what Philly's been. I I see what Boston's been. I see what Milwaukee's been. I've seen what Philly's been. And I think the Cavs can be that next year. And I think that they can be, you know, next year, I think the expectation will be Eastern Conference Finals. Um, And it should be Eastern Conference Finals. But for this year, I would say a, a first round win. And, you know, maybe even making it a competitive second series uh, would be success for for me. What about you? I think the same thing. I have said from the very beginning, yes, they gave up a haul in order to get Donovan. It worked. But but that didn't mean that the roster was perfect. You know what I mean? Like, the roster still had holes even after acquiring Donovan. Right. And I don't think everything was going to be fixed that needed to be fixed just by adding somebody like Donovan Mitchell. To me that raised their ceiling of what they were capable of, especially when you got into a seven-game series in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, In saying all of that, it's weird because in some ways they have the resume of a contender, right? Um, They're one of three teams in the NBA that are top 10 in offense and defense. 36 of the last 39 teams that have won the NBA championship um, have had a point differential of plus four or more, and the Cavs are in that category with six other teams. You know, so like you can go through all those historical barometers of what is a championship team, and in some ways, the Cavs have that resume. And in other ways, you feel like, no, uh uh-uh, uh, it's too early for this kind of team. They're just not experienced enough. Um, They have too many young guys. An average age of a starting five is 23.2 years old. Like, that doesn't stack up with the other top teams in the Eastern Conference and even in the Western Conference. So, like, when you parse it all together, I think you could make the argument that they probably could or should go beyond the second round. But at the same time, Like, there are weak points and holes on this roster that need to be addressed moving forward. Shooting, the wing spot, not enough two-way players, um, the thin bench. So, like, based on all that, I think success for this year with this kind of roster construction is is get first 
get a guaranteed seven game playoff series yeah. so that you can experience that and win a first round playoff series based on the way other things throughout the Eastern Conference have have shaken out here, mainly Brooklyn, like falling apart and, and taking away one of the legitimate title contenders. Um, that's what I think is success for this group. I do want to say that they could very well prove me wrong and end up in the Eastern Conference final. I don't think that's out of the question whatsoever. I don't think we're talking about something yeah. that's completely asinine to believe. <laughs> I mean, I, Donovan, I, Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell has proven that he can take over a game. Darius Garland's proven that he can take over a game. You know, yeah. maybe those guys can take over a series. I don't, I'm not going to doubt their ability to do so. But at the same time, I know that the players they're playing against, you know, guys that can also do that. So yeah, right. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility for Cleveland to win two series. I'm just saying that, like, you know, that it's going to be difficult. Yeah. I also think the thing that they have on their side, and we've talked about this a lot, and I've written about this a lot. There isn't there isn't as much pressure on this group. No. Um, as some of these other teams, both in the East and in the West. Like, the clock isn't ticking as rapidly on their contention. And, and that doesn't mean, like, you take everything for granted and you just assume that next year you're going to be back and the year after that you're going to be back and the year after that you're going to be back as well. But their most important players, they know that they're building around four guys, the core four, unless somebody blows them away with an offer that is completely unforeseeable at this point in time. So they just have to find the right fitting pieces around those guys. But those four are all under contract for at least three more years. And there's room for them to become the Boston Celtics, right? Or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Philadelphia 76ers. Once they get that kind of playoff experience, once they get those battle scars that those other teams currently have because they've gone through things that the Cavs haven't gone through. Right. You're right. 100% right. But they're not those teams right now. And they don't have to act like those teams right now. And expectations don't have to be placed on them like those teams right now. Yeah. Because it's just different. You're 100% right. I think that could easily very, very well help them to be that kind of team that, well, they're, you know, they're not necessarily happy to be here. That's not the point. But it's also like, well, if they don't, you know, there's not all the expectation right. of them winning these things. So, yeah, that's certainly a thing. And that you're right. Then that could very well help them. All right. Uh, anything else, Chris, before we get out of here? Uh, no, I don't think so, man. All I right. think it'll be a very, very interesting sprint to the finish. I actually have a friendly side bet. Um, with one of my friends, uh, a free golf round to the winner. He says that the New York Knicks are going to chase down the Cavs and overtake oh. them for the four seed in the Eastern Conference. Okay. So that is something that we're going to have to watch here because New York is is very capable of continuing this run that they're on right now. And these two teams do play again towards the end of the season. And that game between the Cavs and the Knicks, um, it is on March 31st. It's in Cleveland. It could be very, very important when it comes to playoff seating. Well, we got tonight a little, uh, little action. We got New York against Miami in Miami at 8 o'clock. So definitely, yeah. you know, there's scoreboard watching going on heavily um, <laughs> at this point in the season. So that would be a, that'll be an interesting one for sure. Yeah, Miami's lost five of the last six. I just yeah. Yeah. Every time 
you think, They're yeah, Miami's going to find a way. Miami's too experienced. Miami's too talented. Miami's too this. Miami's too that. It just hasn't happened yet for the Heat. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. We'll see if it does. All right, everybody. Appreciate you joining us in the Money Gold Talk podcast. Please check out uh, Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you will get all, all kinds of news, analysis, insights, and straight to your phone before anywhere else, before Twitter, before Instagram, wherever uh, you are on social media. So you will get it before any of that. Straight to your phone, like I said, 13 or 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. Um, Otherwise, appreciate you joining us. We will talk to you soon here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Have a great weekend. Take care.